Freedom Hut. Pelosi's pompous blowout. Ted Wheeler, mayor out in Portland, flees his own home at the hands of the mob. Are coronavirus tests too accurate? And the election is already undermined. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Honored to have you with me, as always. Thank you so much for being here. Last show for me this week, because I'm actually heading out to Montana, just in time for it to be added to the quarantine list for New York. So now i got to come back and fill out a bunch of paperwork and be in quarantine again for two weeks. They just added it yesterday. But nonetheless, I'm excited to have my first ever go out in Montana. It will be uh, really Good to get away. I'm not even going to be in the tweet fights or anything else for a couple of days. I'm just going to look to see if I can find some moose, some foxes, some bears, stuff like that. That's what that's my plan. And I'm going to stare at the sky and remember that not everything is about politics, friends. There are more important things in life. And at the end of the day, all of our days are going to end at some point. So, you know, you got to just keep perspective on all this. I'm I'm getting a bit of that. Uh, senioritis you know the last hour at work here but nonetheless i'm excited to come back after being a little tanned ready and rested not going to be tanned but ready and rested for this election battle that we're in the middle of because this is going to be the craziest two months i think we've ever seen in american politics and the stuff that's going to happen i can't even really begin to predict it or to anticipate it other than just to say that there are people who will blow up decades-long careers there are people who will say things that are so stupid that their grandchildren in you know 50 years should be haunted by the stupidity of some of the public statements that will be made about how Trump is a fascist and he's going to destroy the country and he's a Russian puppet. Now they're even attacking Trump's health. You've noticed they just go on offense with everything. There are riots going on. The riots are Trump's fault. What? Biden looks like he's a, a doddering old fool. Well, Trump's the one that actually has lost a step. They'll just say it. They go on offense. They don't care. It doesn't matter. Whatever works, whatever works. That's the only rule. That's the only rule by which they will abide. That's everything to them. That's everything. So I've got to tell you, I wish I could say that I knew exactly what they were going to do other than just to establish that it's going to be the kitchen sink strategy I've been telling you all along. You're 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 going to get so exhausted by following if you do follow the news cycle day to day. That's why I just tell you, come here to the hut. We will we will separate the wheat from the chaff. We will make sure that there is none of the nonsense, none of the noise getting in the middle of what our plan is here. I, I really believe very firmly, very strongly at, at the core of all of what I think is good and best for this country. I got to tell you, it's not even close. When you look at Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, it's just not even close. People are going to suffer. It's going to be bad. I'm not saying the country is over, although I do believe that the Democrats have a have a pretty clear pathway to creating a one party state if Biden wins. I do believe that they have already been thinking about what it would be. Eliminate the filibuster, uh, create a an amnesty and then pass a Medicare for all 
And then you have total control over so much of the economy, plus an unsinkable aircraft carrier of Democrat support via the newly declared uh, Americans through the amnesty, whether it's an executive order with paperwork, whatever, however they're going to do it. But all, all they do is they blow out the filibuster and then they go for broke, assuming they have a majority in the Senate, the House and the presidency. That's that's what I think that you'll see. Uh, so there is a possibility that this is the last time we have a real serious conversation about a conservative, limited government future for the country. I think that's true. And, and I want you to understand what the other side is really like. On, on the one hand, you have the rabble. You have the uh, the emotionally unstable, destructive and dangerous Antifa. And you have these BLM, sanctimonious, in-your-face scolds who are constantly telling you how terrible you are unless you agree with everything. And it's not just agreeing with them. Let's be very clear. People often say, oh, they insist that you agree with them. No, they insist you do things. You can't even just say, oh, no, yeah, I'm cool. I like Black Lives Matter. We're good. We're good. I'm part of... That's not enough. That's why that video of those kids who were playing beer pong or whatever it was with a, with a BLM protest going by that throws a brick through their window. And they're like, we're on your side. No one cared. No one, they, they don't care that you're on their side. The whole point is power. The ability to make other people do what you want them to do. Power. So it's not enough to just agree with the movement. The expectation is that you will take orders from the movement. And even then, they don't. They don't like you. You won't be respected by whether it's Antifa, BLM. These are the Democrat militants. We should be very clear about this. The Democrat Party has a militant arm, has a militant wing. So you have that out on the streets, destroying businesses, burning down liquor stores and drug stores and groceries, stealing from clothing stores, sneakers, handbags, Whatever they can get, whatever, whatever people want to take. Right. And, and they scope it out beforehand, too. You can tell they're grabbing the most expensive stuff they can. Coordinated looting, right? organized, widespread criminality. That's what's been happening in major cities. So that's on the one hand. And then on the other hand. You have the the extreme elites of the Democrat Party. So you have the shock troops, the militants of Antifa and BLM. And then you have the people that claim that they like BLM. Then you have the people who claim that they're uh, supportive of the justice movements that are out there on the streets. And yet when you see the way they live their lives, they're completely separated from this. One of the biggest problems we have in our system right now is that the people that advocate for the most disastrous policies the most destructive government policies of all are the most separated from it in reality. I don't just mean in their own mind. It's not like they're just emotionally or psychologically distant from it. I mean, they don't have to wallow in the same muck, in the same crap that the rest of us do. Right? I walk out my front door in New York now and I've got people living. I don't mean just hanging out, living on the street on my block. I'm now living in an open air homeless shelter because Democrat belief is that people who are deeply mentally ill and drug addicted should not be told that vagrancy 
is not allowed, they should be given whatever assistance they want to sleep on the street outside your home. And if they're going to, you know, urinate and defecate and shout profanity at you while you're trying to walk your dog or pick up your kids from school, which we can't do because, of course, you're not allowed to go to school because of Democrats. Uh, that's on you. Maybe you're being a little bit racist. You say, well, hold on a second. The guy, one of the guys living on my streets, a white guy like it's not about race. I don't understand. It's still racist. They don't care. They don't care. It doesn't matter. They'll just say it because everyone gets scared because we all think moral people think that being a racist is terrible. So the term racist is used to bludgeon good people into submission who aren't racist at all. That's what they'll always do. That's what they always have been doing. But the elites, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, she's not stepping over angry homeless vagrants when she leaves her unbelievable mansion in San Francisco. I mean, you can go online and Google the Pelosi house. I mean, Pelosi lives like a member of the you know, Medici family from Renaissance Italy. I mean, you know, uh, she's really, really uh, in that tens of millions of dollar wealth echelon. So it doesn't matter. She can fly private. She goes from beautiful house to beautiful house. She doesn't ever have to work again. And yet she's out there advocating for the lunatics in the streets. She's wearing the kente cloth scarf, bending the knee to BLM. And people buy this. They believe in this. Because the Democrat Party has become, particularly for white liberals, a religion replacement. Now, now it all makes sense when you see it that way, when you understand why do they act like a cult? Why do they refuse? And they always say that that Trump supporters are in a cult. And I say, no, that's not true. Trump supporters are always making cost benefit analysis. I know lots. I'm a Trump supporter and I know lots and lots and lots of them. Trump supporters don't sit around saying, yeah, everything he does is perfect. Everything he says is brilliant. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but that's not the movement. People say, yeah, Trump can be a little rough around the edges, but I kind of want to I want a barroom brawler right now in our politics. I want somebody that can throw an elbow when he needs to. I don't want Mitt Romney or McCain or that kind of approach to politics anymore. I don't want it because we lose. We lose. The other side, though, can count upon belief over facts and rationality and reason. They think these things because believing them alone makes them in their minds better people. So to be a Democrat is to be sophisticated, intelligent, smart, caring. And that's all you have to do. What could be easier than that? What could be easier? It it tells you that this is your path, in a sense, to salvation without actually having any need for God. And Pelosi, because there is no real God for the Democrat Party, Pelosi stands and and her kind stand in place of it. They stand above and apart from the rest of us. And that's why this beauty parlor incident, something that seems so small, is actually so indicative of a broader mindset here. It tells us so much about how these Democrats really view what's going on in this country right now. Let's recap. You have every day now more and more businesses that are going under forever. And think about that. For every business that goes under, there are owners, there are sole proprietors, people that have put unbelievable sweat equity into what they're doing, just labor and work and diligence and perseverance. And now their business is gone. You can say, oh, they'll start another one, but it's not that easy. They don't get the money out of it that they put into it at this point. Maybe they even lost their, if they're really unlucky, they've lost their building to riots. It's been burned down to the ground. But for most people, it's just the economy is frozen. 
and we can't operate the way we used to. And the business models have been destroyed for so many different commercial activities. Democrats just mostly don't care. You know why Democrats have constituencies that are not particularly I'm not saying all Democrats, but there are a lot of Democrats that are from a professional perspective, not really that impacted by this work for the government. You're not really impacted. Every person I know works for the government, still getting their checks, still has their health care. They're fine. Work from home. Sure. Can you imagine work from home for so many of these bureaucrats that barely do anything anyway? I was a government bureaucrat at what was considered the gold standard of uh, of elite government work in some ways, or at least in federal agency work. And 90 percent of the people did very little. You know, and, and about 30 percent did effectively nothing. And they were all getting a paycheck. You think that now when they go home, state and federal employees are really burning the midnight oil to make sure that they get everything done on time, please. Then you have the information workers, a lot of people that work in tech and financial services. Now, there are certainly conservatives among them, too. I'm not saying this is all Democrats, but, you know, if you're a Silicon Valley person, if you're somebody who works for, you know, Uber or you work for Yahoo or you're working at home, you're fine. You're still getting your checks. And your business model isn't even, well, Uber's business model's been crushed, but uh, your business model isn't even necessarily taking a big hit. If you work at Amazon, obviously, you're busier than ever before. The destruction of independent small businesses is going to be one of the tragic epitaphs of this whole COVID-19 uh, COVID lockdown era and what that means for our society. You know, it also should be very troubling to you as we see large corporations are increasingly factories of ideological indoctrination and independent small businesses that can stand up to stand up to the mob are being wiped out by government policy. But Pelosi, what did she do that has gotten everyone? So what is the the blowout incident of 2020 with Nancy Pelosi? Oh, we'll get there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There's a lot that you haven't been allowed to do for a long time. And I, I developed a, a habit of uh, at least trimming my own hair because I couldn't get a haircut for months and I was going to look like a woolly mammoth. Right. There are a lot of things you weren't allowed to do for a long time. Now, finally, gyms in New York are opening. Oh, great. But you have to wear a mask while you're working out. It's it's so it's so stupid. It's so absurd. But. The Democrats all along have been advocating for the most stringent policies possible. They like government control. They like to tell you what to do. And I've always known this about Democrats. And, and I mean this just in uh, observable day to day life, whether it was at the CIA, because I knew who the libs were in my office there or in the NYPD, where there were some libs, not usually the cops, but the analysts, people around me. Uh, or in college and, you know, the, the libs are the people that are going, you can't do that. Or do this, because I say so. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of attitude that they want to tell other people or have some authority, force other people to do what they think should be done. Not on moral grounds, because they say so. That's the attitude. It's because they say so. And we've seen so much of that during the COVID lockdowns. And I'm, I'm honestly furious. I mean, that's the only word I can think of to describe it. I'm furious every day. At how reckless and stupid and dishonest and hypocritical the application of these lockdowns has been for months, for months. 
They are stealing untold trillions of dollars of productivity from people and 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 growth and from all, all over the world. But including here in New York, I'm only really concerned about America for right now. You know, the rest of the world can figure out its own stuff. And you, know, you could say my first concern is America first. But they've been doing all this and acting like if you even question it, you're a bad person. If you have any any concerns, any issues whatsoever about what's going on here, you're a bad guy or a gal. And then Nancy Pelosi, when you, you cannot go in San Francisco right now into a beauty parlor. And look, I've never understood the, fasc- the, the female fascination with getting one's nails done. I don't get it. And I, I've had there, there have been plenty of women in, in life that I've known who I've asked, I still don't understand. They'll they'll say, well, because, you you know, who can take me seriously if I've, I have chipped nails? And I'm like, I've never noticed a woman's chipped nail or nails in my life. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not waging some war on the nail salon industry. But I don't understand. It's just something that's beyond my comprehension. And I'm like, who, no, no one's looking at your fingernails, ladies. I don't know. Uh, at least I'm not. And I didn't mean that in a, <laughs> that sounded bad. I'm saying no one, no, anyway, whatever. You get what I mean. Nancy Pelosi, who is a big advocate for all these lockdowns and all the policies, was uh, seen on a leaked video going indoors to a nail and hair salon to get a blowout. She wants a blowout. So Nancy goes and gets a blowout and she's Nancy Pelosi and no one's going to tell her no because she's important. Hold on a second. I thought this was about health and safety. This isn't about having a connection or being important. We're all in this together, they said, right? <laughs> that, yeah, right. You know that's a joke. We're not all in this together. This is about control. They're not even making the case anymore publicly as to why we should continue. How long are we going uh, to continue the lockdowns? Now, they've just switched in California and New York to because we say so, until we say, until we say no. They won't give us metrics. They won't tell us what the end point is. It's just until we say so. Sorry. It's not about the science. The CDC comes out and says things. And Governor Cuomo, the moron, will say, uh, yeah, sorry, that's that's political. That's not science. Oh, so he knows more than the CDC now. Notice how the rules constantly change because the left believes in only one rule, the rule of power, friends. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the guidelines, follow the science. That's what they're always telling us. When they want you to just be quiet and do what you're told, it's follow the guidelines. And when you say, hold on a second, the guidelines change every couple of weeks now, and the guidelines are arbitrary, And the numbers, the guidelines are based on keep shifting. They move the goalposts. They're pretty open about the fact that they're moving the goalposts. And not only that, but are the numbers even accurate? So much of our lives, my friends, I mean, really important decisions about whether you can have basic freedom or not. All our freedoms have been seized out of our hands by bureaucrats who claim that it's necessary to save our lives. If they can do this over COVID, I'm, I'm telling you right now, they're going to do it with other things as well. Now, lucky that we all live in a period, I suppose, where we have so many TV channels, we can't even find the one channel we want. I mean, it's just there's so much entertainment. There's so many ways to anesthetize yourself 
from the destruction of your freedom at the hands of the state. That's what is happening right now. There's so many distractions from the seizure of your liberties that people don't really get upset about it. At least a lot of Americans just go forward with this and say, oh, okay, sure, some are scared and they shouldn't be. How how can you be scared at this point if you're not in a high-risk category and you've seen the numbers and you realize that unless you're elderly and have a comorbidity, this is not this is just not something to be worried about as a healthy person. That's that's what months and months and months of data has shown us. Doesn't mean that it can't happen, but I could also cut myself shaving and get a antibiotic resistant bacteria from a small cut and, you know, be dead in a week or two. That could happen. But I, I still shave. Well, sometimes. And I, I still go about my life. A society, a government that promises you a risk-free existence is lying to you and plans to control you. Everyone needs to get that one through their heads here. A government that really thinks that it can get away with making that promise also thinks that that we won't do very much when our liberties are seized, when our freedoms are taken away. And that's where we are right now. Can you imagine what the country would look like if there was finally some optimism from these big blue states that are very important engines of the economy because of the, just the population distribution. And they said, you know what? We're really, we're really going to go forward and no mass gatherings protect the, protect the vulnerable still. But other than that, you know, we're, we're going to let people return to their lives. You would think, you would think that that would be where we're, we're all on the same page, but of course not. The misery of the American people is the single biggest talking point, the single biggest asset the Democrats have in their goal of unseating Donald Trump. They want you to be miserable. They want you to despair. They want you to be upset. That's the plan. And they're executing on it. So we sit around and say, what are we to do about this? Oh, well, perhaps on the one hand, we should at least identify the hypocrisy. We should at least tell everybody that we're aware of what's happening here. Um, you know, the, the, the hypocrisy. Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, talked about Pelosi specifically, play 15. Listen, this is typical Washington, D.C. They get on national TV. They preach to the American people that it should be one way. And yet in private, when the cameras are not rolling, and in this case, I guess the cameras were rolling, it shows a very different story. It's the same thing, whether it's in San Francisco with her going into a salon or in the privacy of a negotiating room. It's time that she gets serious about helping the American people. The president has been willing to do that. In fact, the president is the only one in Washington, D.C. that's acted in the last four weeks, we invite her back to the table to hopefully help the American people. Pelosi goes and gets her hair done. You know what her response was? I didn't know. I couldn't do that. I'm serious. She claims that she didn't know that going to a hair salon, no mask on walking around, she's indoors, no mask, in a hair salon, and Paying someone to, you know, to do her blowout because, oh, gosh, heaven forbid Nancy's hair doesn't look perfect for her next TV hit. And then her her justification is, oh, I I wasn't aware that that was going to be a problem, that I was breaking any laws. Effectively, Nancy Pelosi telling you that she's either a just an aggressive liar 
or shockingly stupid, but no one's that stupid. So she's just an aggressive liar. She's looking the American people in the eye and saying, my supporters are with me no matter what. And what are you guys going to do about it? I'm probably going to be Speaker of the House again. What now? That's her attitude. Do you think she cares about the burned out buildings in Kenosha, about the unrest in Portland, about the millions, forget about all that for a second, the millions of American small businesses in Austin, in Denver, in Baltimore, in Boston, in Fort Wayne, all these places where we have so many individuals suffering, losing their livelihoods, and also starting to lose a little bit of their grip on sanity, or at least on hope, because the government is so stupid and so inept, but doesn't care, and is going to control you, is going to keep you on this lockdown. Nancy Pelosi couldn't give a you-know-what about any of it. She is a... Hey, honestly, and I know this is a strong word. She's a soulless person. She really needs to do a tremendous amount of introspection. She's just been a a vessel for the left and her own unbelievable ambition and lust for power and money and influence. It's not helping people. It doesn't care about people. Nancy Pelosi is not a nice person. Does anyone really believe that? She's not in this for the for government service. She's not serving anybody but herself and the powerful interests that make sure that she stays in power. That's it. You had uh, even Vice President Pence saying, look, you know, Pelosi wants to criticize the RNC and the White House gathering, but it uh, doesn't say things about other gatherings that were happening. Play seven. What's remarkable to me is that uh, that uh, Nancy Pelosi had, to my knowledge, not a word to say about the gathering that took place outside the Lincoln Memorial the next day. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of Americans all gathered. But I would say in both cases, the American people were exercising those God-given rights enshrined in our Constitution to peaceably assemble. We did it on the South Lawn on Thursday night. Uh, we did it. They did it outside the Lincoln Memorial on Friday, and 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 I really do believe that it's a, it is a choice between many uh, in the Democratic Party that simply want want once again to tell the American people what to do, and a president and a and a team in the White House that really trusts the American people to put the health of themselves, their families, and our country first. The hypocrisy is astonishing. Whether it's Cuomo being caught, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, being caught not wearing a mask and even having a mask while he's out walking his dog. Look, I don't wear a mask while I walk my dog, but I've been telling you that all along, that that's crazy. I'm not near anyone, not spending time around anybody. I, you know, I'm not polluting the air with my imaginary virus, okay? I'm not sick, and this is crazy. But Cuomo doesn't obey the rules himself. The people that attended John Lewis's four funerals, they they were exempted from the D.C. rules about quarantine. So you know, they're not. And those are mostly Democrat politicians, of course, and other notables. They, they weren't forced to quarantine. Uh, now we see Pelosi believes that she should be able to get her hair done inside. No mask. Oh, isn't she subjecting that poor woman that was doing her hair to the possible high risk of getting a. And isn't Pelosi in the high-risk category herself? I mean, think about this. Think of all the shaming you would see on CNN. Oh, can we have some doctors please come on air and talk about how terrible what Nancy Pelosi's doing is? Here's 
President Trump weighing. And you, you heard the Pence discussion of, of the hypocrisy here. Here's the way the president says it on, on Twitter. The beauty parlor owner must really dislike crazy Nancy Pelosi. Turning her in on tape is a really big deal. She probably treats him like she treats everyone else. And she strongly supported a Kennedy who just lost in, of all places, Massachusetts. Yeah. I'm sure Nancy Pelosi is very imperious. You can just tell, very imperious with the little people, with the unimportant, with the poor, with the... No, she pretends to care so much about them. I mean, Democrats, their second language is pandering to the working class and to minorities, and that's what they're always focused on. Right? Because isn't that so great? That also excuses the luxurious rarefied, exceptional existences that those powerful and rich Democrats get to have themselves. They, they, they pay, in a sense, for their privilege, and borrow a term from them, by always pandering to those that have less. Not doing anything for them, not protecting them, not advancing their interests in a meaningful sense. Give them some crumbs from the table. Give them some handouts from other people who are also struggling. But you can do so much by focusing the animosity of the mob on those who are doing better than the mob just through their own hard work and dedication and their perseverance in their own day-to-day lives. Pelosi still doesn't care about any of that, though. Doesn't care about any of that. What really matters is that they stay locked down and that there's this belief among Democrats that they've been the good people during all of this. It's those big, bad Republicans that have been so awful. There's been so much wrong about the COVID-19 response, about how we've handled this, about what's been said about this. You'd think that there would be some humility from really everybody, because no matter who you are, you've probably been wrong on this at some point in time, or you've thought something that was incorrect. You've taken an action that was incorrect. Remember when hand washing was going to save us all? That was for a while, I remember, the most important thing. Washing your hands, the most important thing. Then it became social distancing, the most important thing. And then the protests happened and there was no social distancing for weeks and weeks on end for tens of thousands of people. So then it became masks were the most important thing. We're just moving, moving this around. It's not rooted in, in any science or any hard data. But we're just supposed to go, go along with these, these uh, lurches. Just say, okay, sure. Now it's this. Yesterday it was that. No questions allowed. Now, a lot of people have thought, where would I have been during the great mass hysterias of the past? You know, whether political or health or religious or otherwise. Well, what would I, would I have been willing to ask the tough questions? Would I have stood athwart the mob and said, I'm not sure I agree with any of this, or I think you guys are wrong. America has been tested by this, and unfortunately, I'm not saying everyone here, of course, a lot of you listening have been very brave in your personal and, I'm sure, public responses to this tyranny, because that's really what it is. It's tyranny with plenty of, you know, mac and cheese and Netflix attached to it, but it's still tyranny. And I think a lot of people would have to look at what's going on here in America, and they'd say to themselves, we failed this stress test. We have not risen to this occasion as a people willing to take our own destiny into our hands and to accept the risks of just living our lives 
No, everyone else wants to, uh, not everyone, but uh, a lot of people want to be patted on the head by the government and told, oh, it's okay now. You're allowed to go outside. Still wear a mask, though. You can't even enjoy breathing free and fresh air without the government sticking its grubby little paws in your face and saying, do this or else. Far too many people go along with this. Lack the uh, internal fortitude. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how we got to this point. But we're going to have to keep fighting back. We're going to have to change this. This shall not stand or else America will not stand or else this country as we know it is going to become something else very quickly. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What? Further evidence does anyone need that this president didn't care less about the spread of this virus than to see what he did vandalizing, by the way, uh, the White House by bringing all those people there, no mask, no distancing and the rest. He slapped science right in the face. And what a bad example that was. So if we're going to succeed in negotiations, we have to look to the science. Dr. Jha has told us over and over that we need uh, um, three million tests a day. That's what we have in the HEROES Act. But they just won't do it. They won't take up a strategic plan to do that. Do you think Nancy Pelosi can read? I I do wonder sometimes, is she able to read or does stuff have to be read to her? Does she know that? We're just they're, they're going to try to introduce this slowly to us, but that the PCR tests done here are much more sensitive than in other places in the world. And so we are also finding people that not only have no uh, level of coronavirus necessary to spread it or create a real infection in themselves, but that we might be finding the discarded viral particles from a previous infection with these PCR tests, according to the science Oh, but if we test three million times a day, then all this will. I've been telling you all along, testing is not a cure. Testing is just data. Doesn't stop the disease from spreading. The the people that are telling you, like Nancy Pelosi, look, she's a moron, but we have to deal with it because she's Speaker of the House. She's got a lot of power. They've been telling you that if we only test enough and if we trace enough, that's the big that's the big shortcoming uh, across the country. And we look at this and say, well, hold on a second. We're testing probably now more than we should in terms of what we're testing for. Unless the New York Times is now also and they're trying to you'd say, Buck, why would they print it? Because they got to try to massage the narrative. They got to get a little bit ahead of this. Sometimes they want to front run a story like this. So they feel so that then they avoid the criticism from people like me saying, you know, New York Times, you idiots have been screaming about testing for months and months. The experts in charge of our national health policy. Do you think that they really have known what the heck is going on? You think that they have some great idea about how to handle this? It's a very contagious illness that spreads rapidly through the air. And we don't have a good way to shut down transmission. We just don't. We never have. Why can't we all just deal with what is This is observable fact. It has been for a long time. But no, Pelosi and the rest will tell you it's Trump's fault because we don't have enough testing. No, in fact, what we see is they continue to make horrible economic and social decisions about this country based upon over testing where they're oversampling for a virus in such a way that we are thinking people are a risk when they're not. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I believe there's no question that the reason we have unemployment is that certain states are not opening up and that there are issues. Obviously, some of that has to be balanced with the the, the medical issues appropriately. But yes, we would expect unemployment to drop significantly between now and the end of the year. More fiscal response is needed. The president and I want to move forward with more fiscal response. And let me just say, the expiration of enhanced unemployment insurance is something that we are concerned about. Uh, I am very proud of the last two bills in the in the Senate, passed 96 to 0 and 100 to 0. That is the definition of bipartisan support. Uh, I said in my opening testimony, I believe that Republicans and Democrats need to work together to have additional support. But Democrats want people to suffer, don't you see? That's what's really happening. Treasury Secretary is saying, look, yeah, obviously, if states would open up, it would help with the employment numbers a lot, but they won't. They want you to believe, friends. They want you to believe that this is because they care so much about your health. And not that it's a very easy way to put the complete buffoon, to put the Bernie, uh, not, the, not the weekend at Bernie Sanders, the Bernie uh, weekend at Bernie presidency on track here with Joe Biden to create a, a puppet regime. All they need to do is make sure that everybody is miserable. It's all they have to do. That is what they are doing by keeping these lockdowns going. I'm not making this up. I'm not just pull- this isn't just some opinion I've come up with out of nowhere. We have now hit all the metrics necessary in New York uh, in order to be completely reopened. We're supposed to be not just in phase four. We're supposed to be in phase normal, basically. We've got almost no covid cases. Oh, because we're wearing masks so well, they tell us. No, it's because the infection spread so rapidly through New York that we got to about 25, 30 percent infections with uh, antibodies afterwards and then also t-cell immunity added on to it you're you're at herd immunity already but no what do they say instead oh we have to wait for a vaccine you know cnn loves dr gupta we're all supposed to listen to dr gupta there are a lot of doctors running around what does dr gupta know specifically about this that others don't that's what i want to know has this guy been particularly right about any of this play clip two even the basic concept of herd immunity counts in this idea that once you get infected, you're going to have protection for a while. As you know, there's been a couple of uh, recent reports, John, uh, saying that maybe maybe you get immunity for a few months after the infection. We still don't know. I mean, we're, we're, we're learning as we go along, given the, the newness of this disease. But the point is, it, it doesn't seem to last certainly forever, maybe not even longer than, than a year or so. So you wouldn't even have persistent herd immunity if people became infected. I just want to say as well, quickly, herd immunity in and of itself is not a bad thing, uh, but it should be given get, uh, achieved through the vaccine, not through mass infection. We're already in mass infection. No, that, 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 that horse has left the barn, friends. That's done. We've already had mass infection across the country. And the places that have been hit the hardest are already pretty close to, if not already, at herd immunity. You know, we're really going to see a test of this. And, and mark my words, if they don't have a vaccine out in time for the winter season and you do not have a massive 
uh, spike in cases. Because remember, we were on the, the most severe lockdown, and I, I just I know the New York case very well, and now I know a lot of other states, Arizona and Texas and Florida and Georgia and Illinois and California, they've all dealt with, with major outbreaks of this too and, and other states that I'm not thinking of right now. But if we don't have another major outbreak of this, uh, that means that what they've been telling us so long is wrong. Right. That means that the people that right now are limiting your ability to live your life, to see people, to engage in normal social activities have done so and have been wrong. OK, because there's no there's no way to explain how it's possible that we wouldn't see another massive outbreak of this in the cities over the winter time, unless it's a herd immunity concept. Now, the, the other alternative is that we get this vaccine out in time. The politics of the vaccine are going to be fascinating. You're going to see all of a sudden, for the first time in a long time, a lot of they're not going to say they're opposed to the vaccine at the New York Times. But if it comes out, let's say, in November, there'd be a lot of skepticism, a lot of how long does it last? Does it really work for everyone? Does it really? And now those are legitimate questions. But how loudly are those questions going to be asked? How repeatedly? At what point is it? Someone being, uh, you know, someone being undermining of the actual vaccine, as opposed to just making sure they've crossed the T's and dotted the I's on this thing. Yeah. If you walked into a job, uh, a job interview and they said, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And you said, no, you think, OK, well, I'll move on to the next. one. I've gotten my answer. I'll move on to the next one. If somebody asks you that five times over the course of an interview, they're asking the same question. And it's a legitimate question to ask. But are they trying to say something? This is how the media plays the game. Right? They do things or they write things. They cover things in such a way that they can pretend that they're not taking a position. But we all know they're taking a position. And they will want, at least for a time, the virus to be slowed down. Even, even if it's to dampen the enthusiasm and optimism that a, that a, I'm sorry, a vaccine to be dampened and enthusiasm for the vaccine to be less even if it's just for a while, because of what they think is at stake. You and I have to remember, if you look at politics right now in America, the way that, that certainly the way that I do, I mean, I can't speak for all of you listening to the show, but if you like this show, it means that there's a certain mentality that with which you approach politics and, and just issues in life in general. And you understand, as I started out with the show, there are more important things, and ultimately, you know, you just got to focus on, you got to tend, tend to your own, house and hearth and make sure that everything's going well in your own life, your own family. Um, but I can have a, a rational conversation with somebody about what the future looks like under a Biden administration without hyperventilating, crying, losing my mind. Right? I, I can do that. And I will do that if he wins. And we'll continue to fight here for freedom on this show and to push ideas that are true and to be a place where we will look at things as they actually are, not as the left wishes they were. Uh, the libs don't see it that way, folks. So when I'm telling you about their motivations, when I'm telling you about what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to do, you got to remember, they really believe this stuff. You know, they think putting, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, who is kind of a, you know, a, a mediocre econ student from BU in charge of the Green New Deal uh, outline, is not completely insane. They think that Greta, whatever her name is, a Thunberg, as a 16-year-old girl, should be lecturing the whole planet on climate change because they believe so much in science. Right? 
they still see nothing really wrong with the media trying to ruin Nick Sandman and the rest of the Covington kids' lives. They see nothing wrong with lying about Brett Kavanaugh, claiming that he was a rapist, which was a total fabrication, because they had a more important goal in mind, preventing him from being a threat to Roe v. Wade. They emotionalize these issues and self-justify as they go through. No reason, no accountability. That's what the Democrat Party is all about. That's what they that's really at the core of it. So you're thinking about this in terms of, okay, look, we we want the election to be free and fair and we want to see who wins and may the best man win. And they're thinking about this as though if they don't win, the world will end. And that's that's irrational. That's crazy. But that is how they see it. And you are you gets no benefit for you. By downplaying that recognition, downplaying that reality, that is the way the left views all of this, which is why they take the positions they do on issues that you would think would be beyond politics. You know, I'm not looking to see anyone suffer anymore from either getting covid or from the lockdown policies. I want what's best for America, first and foremost. And if I thought that what the Trump administration was doing was damaging, was dangerous, I would say so. I think that the libs have lost their minds and they cannot be counted on even on the most essential core issues for our society. Things like, is it safe for us to go out? Can we can we finally start to live our lives? Can't trust them. You just can't trust them. It's more important to them that Trump loses the election than we have a dramatic decline in people losing their businesses and jobs between now and election. It's just more important to them. Flat out. Sit down and talk to a liberal about this. You know, is it worth it if five million Americans lose their life savings because their business goes under and they don't have anything else left between now and Election Day? What is the the liberal mentality is that if that means that Trump loses, it's worth it. You know, this is true. It's worth it to them. They don't care. It doesn't bother them. Okay, you know, that's the price. That's the price we have to pay. And really, the country needs to suffer. And remember that the religious component of Democrat belief, the country needs to suffer for its sins. In this case, the sin of electing Donald Trump and perhaps electing him again, that that's even a possibility. And the polls have tightened a lot. It's a very close race we're seeing now. And, you know, based on where Hillary was versus Trump at this time four years ago, Biden's in an even weaker position than Hillary was. Based you know, on a direct comparison, same polling company. Now, maybe they've changed the way they poll a little bit, but you know, the same the same organizations will show you that Biden's in a weaker spot than Hillary. So why should we think that it's going to be a different outcome? Well, then that gets me to the next part of all this, which is that the election is already undermined. Remember how I was telling you that they'll justify anything and whatever it takes? Our election system has been uh, chipped away at the very fa- not just chipped away. I mean, they've been swinging at it with sledgehammers at the very foundation of our electoral system and the way that we pick the president of the United States. There is no pathway between now and the election for Trump to take where they will not claim that there was cheating, fraud, and he didn't really win. They've al- they've already established that. It doesn't matter what happens. <laughs> You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
President the biggest risk Trump. we have, I have to say, is this whole uh, crazy thing where they're sending out 80 million ballots to people that don't even know what a ballot is. They're getting them. They're sending them all over. Applications for Who's voting. Who's sending them? Where are they sending them? They're sending 80 million ballots to everybody. And there's tremendous cheating going to go on, as sure as you're sitting there. And all you have to do is look at the recent races that happened. It's the single biggest problem that there is, because everybody wants an honest election. I want an honest election. Here you have a president warning the American people that we're, we're changing the rules at the last minute. The Democrats are changing the rules at the last minute for this election. And... There's no way this isn't going to be disastrous. Right? This is, I told you yesterday about the Red Mirage, where, keep in mind, it doesn't matter how many outstanding ballots there really are. What the Democrats will do is say on election night when Trump has, assuming that he ends up winning based on the, on the actual polling places, the election, Democrats will say, no, we will not concede there's too many outstanding mail-in ballots. That's going to be their their guaranteed their go to position. So they will they will not give Trump the satisfaction that Trump voters, the American people, the American system, the stability of allowing Trump to, to be considered the president after winning on election night. They're going to drag it out. And that's just a stalling tactic. It's like trying to ice the kicker right They're They're going to call a timeout. And then what happens? Well, they're going to see what they can come up with during that timeout. Can they can they pay off a ref? Can they go up in the booth and, you know, unplug the cameras so that nobody can call for instant replay? Right. I mean, you know, that's when they're going to figure out how the, how best to cheat. But they freeze in place the, the electoral process and say, hold on. They've already friends. We know they've already done stuff like this. Look at the 2000 election. Look at their approach in 2000. What did they do then? Oh, that's right. They took this all the way to the Supreme Court. You know, the, if you watch the HBO movie, because you know, HBO, these these channels all dominated by lips. Can we have one major media entertainment channel? Not news. We've got Fox entertainment channel. It doesn't have to be right wing. It doesn't have to all just be, you know, stories from the Bible all day or something. No, it, well, that would actually be kind of cool. But it would be great just to have a channel where. It wasn't constant left-wing propaganda whenever something was possible to propagandize, right? Which is a lot of things. No, no. Instead, you have people watching the uh, the recount movie on HBO and they think that, that Bush stole the election. Democrats were doing something very easy, very, underst- very easy to understand. Uh, they wanted to do recounts only in Democrat-majority districts and not recounts in other places that had the same problems. Uh, that's a pretty obvious strategy, isn't it? But no, they they try to muddy the waters and oh, but oh, but, no, no, that's what they were doing. Recount in you know Miami Dade, don't recount in this other place. Recount in this blue stronghold, don't recount it. Absurd, absurd. But here you go. This was the New York Post confessions of a voter fraud. I was a master at fixing mail-in ballots. A top Democratic operative says voter fraud, especially with mail-in ballots, is no myth, and he knows this because he's been doing it on a grand scale for decades. Mail-in ballots have become the latest flashpoint in the 2020 elections. While President Trump and the GOP warn of widespread manipulation of the absentee vote that will swell with COVID polling restrictions, 
Many Democrats and their media allies have dismissed such concerns as unfounded. But the political insider who spoke on the condition of anonymity because he fears prosecution said fraud is more the rule than the exception. His dirty work has taken him through the weeds of municipal and federal elections in Patterson, Atlantic City, Camden, Newark, Hoboken and Hudson County. And his fingerprints can be found in local legislative, mayoral and congressional races across the Garden State. Some of the biggest names and highest office holders in New Jersey have benefited from his tricks, according to campaign records The Post reviewed. An election that is swayed by 500 votes, 1,000 votes, it can make a difference, the tipster said. It could be enough to flip states. The whistleblower, whose identity rap sheet and long history working as a consultant to various campaigns were confirmed by the New York Post, says he not only changed ballots himself over the years, but led teams of fraudsters and monitor and mentored at least 20 operatives in New Jersey, New York and Pennsylvania, a critical 2020 swing state. There is no race in New Jersey from city council to the United States Senate that we haven't worked on. The tipster said, I worked on a fire commissioner's race in Burlington County. The smaller the race, the easier it is to do. Gets into some of the specifics here. Phony ballots. The ballot has no specific security features like a stamp or watermark. So the insider said he would just make his own ballots. I just put the ballot through the copy machine and it comes out the same way, the insider said. But the return envelopes are more secure than the ballot. You could never recreate the envelope, he said. So they had to be collected from real voters. He would have his operatives fan out going house to house, convincing voters to let them mail completed ballots on their behalf as a public service. The fraudster and his minions would then take the sealed envelopes home and hold them over boiling water. You have to steam it to loosen the glue, he said. He would then remove the real ballot, place the counterfeit ballot inside the signed certificate, and reseal the envelope. Five minutes per ballot tops, he said. The insider said he took care not to stuff the fake ballots into just a few public mailboxes, but sprinkle them around town. That way he avoided the attention that foiled a sloppy voter fraud operation in Patterson, New Jersey, in a city council race this year, where 900 ballots were found in just three mailboxes. If they had spread them all in different mailboxes, nothing would have happened, he said. End quote. Oh, but voter fraud isn't real. The libs lie. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're picking up information that that uh, these violent instigators were coming to Kenosha. They were coming from California, Washington State, a lot from Chicago, and they were coming up to Kenosha. So we expected matters to get worse. Uh, the violence that erupted uh, shortly after the shooting is simply uh, not a legitimate response to a police shooting. And the looting and the arson were unacceptable. And as it progressed, it became more and more distant from the issue of racial justice. It was violence for violence sake. And once again, we saw the hijacking uh, of a protest by a hardcore group of, of radicals uh, who were carrying out, planning a coordinated violent attack on law enforcement, on public property and on private property. And that can't be tolerated. You know, without the violence, and I agree with the attorney general here that the protests uh, are are hijacked in a sense, because there are people who will protest against police brutality. And, they, and there, there have been I've been to peaceful protests, actual 
peaceful protest. It does happen against police brutality. Uh, but I also would tell you that it doesn't really get attention, doesn't really move the needle, which is why the radicals are such an essential part for these movements. You're going to protest because a, the cops shoot a guy who's grabbing a knife after he's wanted on a felony sexual assault warrant, and the cops are called on him because he's gone to the home of the woman that, that alleged that he sexually assaulted her? You want to have a protest against the cops for that? Go for it. But most people are going to say, hmm, we're going to wait and see how this uh, shakes out before we decide whether or not we're going to think that this cop should be treated like a criminal and that there is a, a bigger systemic problem here. But once you start burning down buildings and you cause all this, this, this rage to be unleashed, well, now everyone's going to be talking about it. Now you're going to get the attention you want for your cause. So you really can't separate these things out and think of them as, as completely distinct events. They're really symbiotic at this point. I mean, the BLM movement, if it was just people holding signs and saying defund the cops, yeah, they would have gotten attention for a couple of weeks. But no, it's, it's the shock troops of the movement that are the reason that people pay so much attention to it. It's because they burn down buildings. It's because they attack people in the streets and, and are violent against police that the movement feels more powerful than it should than it otherwise would. But, you know, at first, uh, the storyline was that President Trump should not go to Kenosha. He did go to Kenosha yesterday. Here's what he said. Play clip 12. So I'm committed to helping Kenosha rebuild. We all are. Uh, we will provide one million dollars to the Kenosha law enforcement so that you have some extra money to go out and do what you have to do. You took a rough, it was a rough week, to put it mildly, and uh, you've done it incredibly well. I'm also providing nearly $4 million to support these small businesses that I talked about today that got burned up, burned down. And we're going to be providing over $42 million to support public safety statewide, including direct support for law enforcement and funding for additional prosecutors. So the president has shown up, uh, sh- showed up in Kenosha and he's bringing real support. He's trying to do things to help the people there. And you know what the response is from the left initially about all this? First of all, that, that Trump going there makes it worse, right? That's the, uh, the Trump is making all this stuff worse, they'll tell you. Why is the president of the United States? This is the, the people of Kenosha would want, you would think, after what they've been through, where non-Kenoshians or Kenoshians or whatever are destroying their city because of BLM. No, the president showing up is a, a sign of real solidarity with the suffering business owners. And also, can you imagine if this was your community? I mean, it's, it's not a very big place. I mean, this is right in the downtown. It's, it's a city of 100,000. You imagine if this is what you were being subjected to, you had to be concerned about what happens at night. And there are people that work at night. There are convenience store clerks. There are, you know, the nurses that are on night shift. There are, you know, people actually have to be able to go about their lives at night, too. We shouldn't be living in a in a country where there are American cities where at night it's just a free fire zone for the lunatics. But that's what that's what the Democrats will give you. And it's not just in Kenosha. It's also in Portland, the president says, look, we're happy to try to help Portland play 13. We'd love to help Oregon, would love to help, uh, really love to help Portland. 
because we could solve that problem so easily. We have the people, they're ready. They could be there in less than an hour, less than an hour, and it would all end. And they got a glimpse of that in this great state. They got a really good glimpse of it. It happened very quickly. And, and now, I mean, I see it. They're already rebuilding. You're already rebuilding your stores. You'll be rebuilding your stores soon, your camera shop. So uh, we don't want to do that, but at some point we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to do it. Some point we're going to have to do it. Uh, you know, Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, or as I call him, Antifa's errand boy, he has been chased out of his $800,000 condo in Portland. He's been chased out of his own home by the maniacs that he defends at every turn and every opportunity because they were shooting fireworks outside of his window. I mean, actual real deal fireworks. I, I saw a video of it just. Lighten it up right outside his window. Can you imagine? And the uh, other people in his building, I'm sure they're all libs too. This is Portland. At least most of them are. They don't like this. They feel unsafe. So the the mayor has been chased from his home in Portland now. He cannot be in his own home. And this is the same mayor who a week ago was putting out a letter bragging about how when Trump extended a hand to help him, he was slapping it away. The same mayor, same mayor thought he didn't need Trump, same mayor thought that, you know, he had the situation. He said he had the situation under control. They don't need Trump's divisiveness. Oh, Trump's so divisive. Maybe the divisiveness comes from the psycho libs who can't handle this guy's president and has been for four years. Get over it, libs. Get over it. You might have to get over for another four years if you're not careful. And and I, I will say this now. If that happens, Democrats have nobody to blame but themselves. They will have earned every second of Trump's next four years with their actions in this year alone. All the wailing, the crying, the the crawling up in the fetal position, and oh my gosh, that you'll have from journos and libs all over the place. They will have earned every second of that misery. Every second of it. Misery for them. Good for the country, but... Bad for libs, obviously. The president's also finally, you know, able to, I think, put on defense the libs who have gotten away with just trashing cops for months. Just trashing the police like they're the police are the bad guys is what we end up hearing from them. The police are the issue. That's just that's insane. It's insane. But that's what the. uh, That's the mainstream Democrat narrative. It has been for a long time. Play 14. We have to have our law enforcement. We cherish our law enforcement. We wouldn't be here without our law enforcement. Even me, I'm I'm here today. I feel so safe. And you went through hell just a few days ago. But I feel so safe. I better be safe. I better be safe. But we're all safe. And we're safe because of law enforcement. And uh, we honor you. And uh, I will say this. We have to condemn the dangerous anti-police rhetoric. It's getting more and more. It's very unfair. Uh, You have some bad apples. We all know that. And those will be taken care of through the system. And nobody's going to be easy on them either. And you have people that joke. They're under tremendous. I said it yesterday. I said it last night. They're under tremendous pressure 
and they may be there for 15 years and have a spotless record, and all of a sudden they're faced with a decision. They have a quarter of a second, quarter of a second to make a decision. And if they make a wrong decision one way or the other, they're either dead or they're in big trouble. And people have to understand that. More and more Americans, it seems, are understanding that. The Democrats never had a real plan for police reform. The Democrats never really thought that they were going to end systemic racism. Oh, but they'll still talk about this, though. The Wisconsin AG, I'm sure this guy's a total lib lightweight. Josh Call said that uh, the problem with what, what Trump did yesterday was, well, here, you can hear it. Here's the Wisconsin AG, another, another lib ruining his own community with his left-wing stupidity. Play one. The reason we didn't want the president to come to Kenosha, and the mayor of Kenosha also asked him not to come, is that the situation on the ground there has improved significantly over the last few days, but it's still a tense situation. And this president uh, consistently fans the flames of tension rather than diffuses situations. And what we saw yesterday was unfortunately consistent with what we expected. He didn't acknowledge systemic racism. He didn't talk uh, about condemning the violence that we saw from uh, a vigilante who killed two people and shot a third person. It's not the kind of leadership we need. And hopefully we will see that kind of condemnation from the White House and somebody who's trying to unify people rather than divide us going forward. He didn't acknowledge systemic racism. Uh, What does that do? This is this is the game the libs always play because they're desperate to establish the moral high ground in these conversations. Right. And and to to virtue signal. okay, yeah, let's talk. There there is systemic racism. What does that mean? Where is there systemic racism? I would say, oh, Buck, in the criminal justice system, there's systemic. Okay, how much? Where is it? How do we deal with it? What do we do differently? Oh, I'm sorry. What? What what, what are the answers you get from libs? Oh, there's more transparency. We might go from 10 unarmed black men a year shot by cops to to what, to five? What if there's only one a year? Does that mean that a country of 330 million people is systemically racist? One bad thing happens a year? Well, no, you say, Buck, it's not one, it's, it's 10, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20. 330 million people, folks. We, we can all do math, right? We all understand how rare this event is that we're forced to constantly talk about. So where's the other systemic racism as it stands today in the system? What, what is it exactly? Are there a lot of innocent minorities who are being locked up in prison? Is that the contention? Show, show us that. That's terrible if that's happening. Show us that. Is that. But that's not really the contention, is it? No. What does admitting systemic racism do? It makes the person saying it feel like they're smart and virtuous. I'm admitting that there's systemic racism. That does nothing for us. It's like saying there's inequality. Why won't you admit there's inequality in society? Okay, yeah, there's inequality in society. There always has been. There always will be. What do we do now that we've admitted there's inequality in society? If they want to point to a specific law or specific action of the government and say that this is systemic racism, then let's have that conversation. But there never is that. It's always this this vague sense of of calling out injustice without specifying what is the specific injustice what 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 is the action here is a police officer shooting somebody who's reaching for a knife the injustice because some of us are going to look at you and say no that's actually not an injustice 
In the case of Mike Brown in St. Louis, is charging a police officer and trying to take his gun from him and then getting shot, is that an injustice? No, it is not. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Trump did go to Kenosha, and there's more than ever a clear distinction between the Democrat and Republican positions on this issue. And the Democrats are reeling right now. They feel like they've been thrown off balance. They're on their back heels. What are they going to do now? Right. What happens now that the American people have figured out? Hold on a second. The Democrats are crazy when it comes to law enforcement issues, when it comes to support of BLM and and Antifa. I mean, they won't call out what's going on with Antifa and take I forget about calling it out. Take action. They don't want law enforcement to toss these lunatics on the ground, flex cuff them and process them for the crimes they are committing. They don't, they don't like that because that, that, they're Biden voters. It's the Biden base. But initially it was Trump shouldn't go to Kenosha. And then all the libs, all the Democrats are out there with Trump didn't do a good job in Kenosha. And Biden's not going to go there because he doesn't want to make things, you know, go in the wrong direction right now. Oh, just kidding. Looks like the polls must have showed up because now. All, well, actually, no, hold on. Here is a Biden campaign uh, official Simone Sanders on why Biden's not going play 21. Vice President Biden is looking forward to getting to Wisconsin very soon. It's a priority for us. Um, look, he doesn't want to do anything uh, that would create a, t- a tussle, if you will, on the ground. He doesn't want to do anything to upset, um, you know, kind of the, the, as you noted in your opening, the peaceful nature of what is currently happening in Kenosha, but also throughout the, the state at large. And so that is why it's so concerning um, about President Trump's visit today. Look, we have heard the president over the last couple of days throughout the Republican National Convention talk about violence. You know, he, his tweets have mm-hmm. stoked and incited this violence. And so he is not going to be a calming voice in Kenosha, Wisconsin today. He's going to do nothing but fan the flames and pour gasoline on what is already a, a, a very tense situation. Wait, I thought it was the peaceful nature of things. Why is it such a tense situation? Which one is it? Simone Sanders doesn't seem clear on what she's talking about here, or, or at least what her assessment of it is. Biden doesn't want to go because it's peaceful and doesn't want to stir things up, but also things are really tense there and problematic, so maybe Biden shouldn't go. What? what? Which one is it? Is it that he doesn't want to mess up the peaceful thing, or he can't go because it's a violent thing and doesn't want to be around that? Well... They changed their mind again because guess what? Biden now is going to Kenosha after saying he wouldn't go to Kenosha because the Democrats are playing catch up on this issue, friends. The Democrats are absolutely devoted to and all in on lying about this, changing the whole storyline from what they've been saying for months to, oh, no, Biden will protect you, too. We promise. We promise Biden will protect you. Anyone who believes that at this point is just very easily misled and probably not very smart. Democrats have a big problem entirely of their own making, a totally unnecessary too. In a sense, you wish we didn't have to go through this as a country, but at least there's some justice with their panic. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's going on in our nation's capital in the aftermath of the RNC, those protests, the block parties and politicians just in general being sleazy and untrustworthy from an inside the beltway position. We've got Tina Lowe in the mix. She is a commentary writer at the Washington Examiner, also a contributor to The First. Tina, what's up? Hey, Buck. How's life in D.C.? Because life in New York is turning into a, a dystopian, you know, frozen food and Amazon Prime and Netflix watching nightmare, effectively. Like, that's never going to stop until the election. How are you guys doing down there? So it's been funny to see on Twitter all of these journalists tweeting from their Capitol Hill balconies and lofts. that You know, everything looks peachy keen on their uh, six-figure income streets. When in reality, much of downtown has been completely decimated. In small part, this is just due to people working from home. So the business district downtown is just completely vacated. There's a there's an industry group that was trying to figure out what the vacancy rate was. And it's in it's a it's within 10 percent of of normal business activity compared to this month last year. So it's pretty awful. That's not even including the actual rioting and looting that's been going on in Chinatown, which is also downtown. I mean, again, if you get out of the bubble, you can see it right there. I have posted photos of it on Twitter. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting world where you can't send your kids to school, go to church. I, I have a friend who cannot go into his doctor's, who cannot go into his wife's OBGYN appointments to see her ultrasounds. Um, but you can just throw a block party in the street in the name of social justice. So that's where we're at right now. I'm, I, you know, I can't use words like shock or surprise because these days a lot of the blue check libs in particular, there's nothing, there's nothing that's beneath them in these political fights. I mean, there's nothing they won't say. But you probably ha- have seen some of this. Uh, I saw the CNN correspondent that I always refer to. He's like the FBI pajama boy. Uh, who now is out in Portland, he takes a photo of a park and says, no crazy Antifa here. Everything looks just fine. Uh, you have Paul Krugman tweeting out, I think it was just this morning, went for a run in New York City. No black clad Antifa lunatics attacking me. Like everything is just fine. And, you know, posts a photo of of being in Central Park or something. I mean, I, I hate to break these people, but I- I've been in war zones like in the worst periods of the city of Mosul's history during the Iraq war, when there were people getting their heads lopped off in public squares on video, you could find quiet streets where things looked. I mean, like, I I don't understand how it's possible that people like Paul Krugman and the Nobel laureate are so dumb. But but I guess people don't care. It would be like finding a black person who hasn't been shot by a cop and saying, oh, Black Lives Matter is over. We don't need to do this anymore. When that's insane. We understand that anecdotal evidence isn't everything. And furthermore, we know these crime stats in these cities are skyrocketing. New York crime, what, last month? Doubled. Nearly tripled. Tripled, yeah. Yeah, it doubled. Yeah, in in Los Angeles, it was up some like 30%, I believe. And then I don't think anyone would consider editorializing to show these photos of Portland and of Seattle and of Kenosha and realize that, yeah, we're, we're literally burning entire cities to the ground, sizable portions of them. And then, you know, you have this fun faction of our totally out of touch media class saying, oh, don't worry, the insurance will cover the, the lootings and the riots. 
Not when you file a six-figure insurance claim. These are usually capped in the five figures. And also on top of that, it means that then that these small businesses insurance rates are going to go up indefinitely. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the, at the data that we do have and the data that we don't, Tina, it's very clear there have been some independent journalists who have gone out on the road and done some actual fact-finding, and you see that there are, are, are neighborhoods where there's the businesses that are burned down, and then there's also the businesses around the businesses that are burned down that have no customers, that have been on lockdown for months, that can't pay their rent, and now they're on land that's effectively because they can't afford to even remove the rubble of the burned down business. Now the land of that business is worth almost nothing because who's going to sign the next lease there, right? Who, who's going to be the person that wants to take over that space? So the, the second and third order effects of the destruction that's happening, whether it's in Kenosha or Portland or, or parts of other major cities that we're seeing, it, it's so clear to anyone who thinks this through, but you, you have Nobel laureates like Paul Krugman, who write for the New York Times, saying, the, the, they can't decide whether it's everything is fine or all the terrible stuff is Trump's fault, which I think is a fascinating dichotomy. Yeah, no, the, it, it, the riots are Trump's fault, and also there are no riots. That's basically what it comes down to. You know, I, mean, I don't even live in the worst hit area of D.C., but my street had multiple buildings looted. I went to my bodega right next to my apartment, owned solely by minority immigrants. I talked to the owner, and he says, I want justice, too. But they're never going to get it because it's not the in vogue cause du jour. And it, I mean, and also in a sane world, you have these independent journalists like Andy No, like Julio Rosas, like, like everyone at the Daily Caller, who they were going into these literal war zones, giving us coverage because the New York Times can't send a fleet of reporters to do the same. Instead, they're all running cover for these rioters and looters. I mean, Nicole Hannah-Jones is the one who said property violence is not violence. Yeah, no, and there's there's open justification now of looting in some quarters. You'll see that. They'll, they'll rationalize the looting. And that was, I think, an NPR editorial from, from over the weekend. And there's even a whole book on how, you know, looting is an important part of the justice movement. We're speaking to Tina Lowe, commentary writer at The Examiner and contributor to The First. Uh, Tina... The part of this that, that I think is, is still remains to be seen how it's going to play out. I'm curious for your take on it. The, the Democrats seem to recognize they've got a cognitive dissonance here. They seem to recognize that the law and order problem now is a problem for them. But I, I can't tell if the the Democrat apparatus, meaning the media, the DNC, the Biden campaign fully knows how they're going to play this now, you know. Yesterday, Biden's not going to yeah. Kenosha. Today, he is going to Kenosha. Yesterday, Trump causes the riots. Today, they've got, you know, big name blue checks on social media saying, what riots? This cities look great, right? What do you think? Well, clearly, the internal polling is in, and now it's external. You know, think about it. Just as with the school reopenings, that every single Democrat in the country changed their tune and their media adversaries and allies, um, this is what's going on with the caring finally about law and order. You know, this has been going on for three months. Portland is on their 100th night of rioting. And it has taken this long for Biden. And quite frankly, you know, I think that I've been a pretty sympathetic conservative towards Biden. But that speech that he gave in Pennsylvania, that was weak tea. His, I mean, that was that was both sides. That was all lives mattering, the issue. Right now, the issue is not about the white nationalists. At Charlottesville, yes, the issue was the white nationalists. Right now, the issue 
are these far left Antifa rioters. And clearly they're trying to have their cake and eat it too because it is deeply affecting their polls. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, these are states where Trump's numbers have all slowly risen again. And even if you look at Black Lives Matter support polling, immediately after the killing of George Floyd, American support for BLM increased more in, the two, in those two weeks than it had in the 21 months prior. And that included a massive jump among Republicans. You had Tim Scott, who wanted to do a sweeping police reform bill in the Senate. What happened? Democrats killed it. This stopped being about any sort of police reform and started being about burn it all down cultural Marxism. Remember, yeah, it was about and Christopher. It was about Christopher Trump. Columbus statues about two weeks after uh, they first tried to do the police reform bills. Exactly. So then people just realize very transparently that this is not. This is no longer about racial justice in in forms of indiscriminate policing. This is no longer about actual legislative change, actual policy effects. And it is now just, it's in the woke white liberal left, it's about virtue signaling. And it's about showing that, that they are a member of a, of a different kind of cultural elite because they can no longer signal in terms of economic elitism. And then among the outright Antifa rioters, it's just about destruction. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. For some people, actually, remember that uh, that scene in the Batman Begins movie where he says some men just want to see the world burn. It's kind of like that. Yep. No, that's, of course, that's what it is. Think about it. Think about the cohort of Antifa rioters who are doing this. They don't have kids. They don't have a lot of friends. They don't have church. They don't have careers. Why wouldn't they want to burn it all down? There we go. Tina Lowe, everybody. Check out her latest at The Washington Examiner. And I look for her more on the first. Deanna, thanks so much. Stay safe. Don't go fighting any of those anti-faloons. <laughs> thanks, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You have all these libs running around acting like there's nothing bad happening in cities. And then a moment later, they'll tell you that the reason bad things are happening in cities is Donald Trump. That's that's pretty much where it is now. They can't figure out which one they're actually going to go with. It changes every every few moments. It changes. So that's why I, I just want to say right now for uh, for everybody out there, uh, the cities are in bad shape, folks. We know this. Anyone who lives in one will tell you this. There is nothing trending in their favor. Not security, not the economy, not covid, nothing. Well, covid cases, but not covid lockdowns meaning COVID cases are way, way down, but the lockdowns continue on. What, what's the answer for this? What are they going to do in response to it? Well, Bill de Blasio has got an idea. How about a wealth tax? Oh, yeah, that's right. Bill de Blasio wants help with a wealth tax. Play three. You really want to change things in this city? Then everyone better change a lot of the way we live more foundationally. If you just talk about it and feel self-satisfied, God bless you. That's not actually going to change things. What changes things is redistribution of wealth. Uh, tax the wealthy at a much higher level. And I just feel like this is a lot of cocktail party comfort going on rather than people honestly dealing with this issue. Help me tax the wealthy. Help me redistribute wealth. Help me build affordable housing in uh, white communities if you want desegregation. 
<sighs> That's right. Higher taxes, more government housing. That's how de Blasio thinks he's going to fix things. That's how de Blasio thinks he's going to make things better. Well, my friends, it's not going to work. If I weren't someone who had all my family in New York and an interest in the outcome of the fight for the the future, the soul of this city in my work, which I certainly do. If I weren't uh, in that role, I would tell you right now, uh, I'd be out. If it weren't for those two things, I'd be out. The taxes you pay to live in New York City, you know, think about it. If you're making, you know, let's say you're, uh, oh, I don't know, you're somebody who's working in, a, in an office environment. You're an, I, you're an IT specialist for a company. You're making 100, 100 grand, which I don't know if that's high or low for that. Prof- I'm just saying you're making 100 grand. You leave New York City, you don't have to pay New York City taxes anymore. You leave New York State, you don't have to pay New York State taxes anymore. Florida and Texas are very nice places with great people, great food. Same thing with Tennessee. That's why everyone's leaving. Because you, not only do you get to be in a place where you have more freedoms and more rights that are respected, you're also somewhere where you get to keep more of your money. And it's more affordable. So every sandwich you buy, every square foot of your home, all of that, you're getting more for your money. And on top of it, at the end of the year, you get to keep more of your money. And de Blasio's plan is to raise the taxes even more on people who are high earners. De Blasio's plan is to squeeze even harder on the people that he's already getting 50% of the taxes from, the 1% of earners in New York. You know, Democrats, what we're, what we're seeing in part here is that they've been, they've been uh, you know, overusing the golden goose, so to speak, of the major industries that are based in some of these cities, Silicon Valley in California and in, in the Bay Area, uh, Hollywood uh, for Los Angeles. You know, uh, the whole Hollywood isn't even really a thing anymore. I mean, it is, but it, it doesn't exist the way that it used to. The movie studios are a, a fraction of the power and influence of what they used to have. Now they're making movies for the Chinese market. They're just dubbing them and sending it over to China. That's why everything we see is either a cartoon or a superhero movie now. It's so they can go after the global market. They're not, they don't even care what Americans think about a lot of these movies anymore. So that's completely changed. In New York, you have a, such a concentration of the financial services industry that's here. But that's going to change, too. They're going to leave. You know, people hear things like, oh, if you work for Goldman Sachs, you know, you make the average employee at Goldman Sachs makes something like, I don't know, $350,000 a year, which sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money. That sounds, sign me up for that. That sounds great. But if you look at what happens now going forward, if you make $350,000 in New York City, you're not rich. You're not even necessarily very well off. If you're married, you got a couple of kids and, uh, you know, you can spend that money very quickly. You're making that kind of money and you live in Tampa, you live in Dallas or Houston. You're doing now. I know those are expensive cities too, Dallas and Houston, but you're, you're doing well. You're living well on that money. You're living well. You're living better on whatever. Whether you make 50 grand or 500 grand, you're living better. The so people are going to leave. They're going to leave. But de Blasio doesn't understand the basic incentives. And that's why it's only going to get worse. You know, we have all these fleets, these photos of fleets of moving vans and moving trucks. Everyone's trying to get out that can get out. And then that makes things worse for the people who have not gotten out 
and it becomes a death spiral of a city. It has happened to other places. It has happened to Detroit. It has happened to Baltimore. It has happened to major American metropolises in the past. You know, you look at a place even like Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a shadow of what it used to be. You know, in terms of the, the industry, the commerce, the wealth. It's, you know, a city with a high, with a high crime rate. And, you know, New, New York, I worry the New York golden age is behind it now. And it's because of morons like de Blasio and people like Paul Krugman who are saying, oh, I went for a run and it was a pretty day in New York and no Antifa attacked me. So everything is OK. You know, there's no way that Krugman is so stupid that he really believes that that's an intelligent thing to say. It's not possible. So he's just being a part of the gaslighting. They're just hoping that they can hold on to these false narratives long enough. That when people go in to vote this November, they're not going to believe what has actually happened here. They're going to think something else is going on or they're just going to blame Trump for it. New York City is not Trump's fault. What's going on here? New York State is not Trump's fault. This is on Democrats who have been making the key decisions at every and insisting that they were only their decisions to make. Let's not forget that. Cuomo used to tell the president, sorry, it's a state issue. Back off. Okay. Well, there are a lot of people that lived in nursing homes that wish that wish that Cuomo had backed off and left it to somebody else. Because, as I've said, the single most effective, the single best safety policy you could have for your state during the covid pandemic. Don't have Andrew Cuomo as your governor. That would have been the difference between thousands and thousands of people living or dying. Don't have Cuomo as your governor. And if you want your city to survive, don't elect someone like Mayor de Blasio. But who knows who's coming next? Could be even worse. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Time to lay it down for all of you. I got the Godfather in for me tomorrow and Friday because the buck needs a few days off. I guess the buck does stop, but in the grand scheme of things, the buck never stops, but he stops for a couple of days. Going out to Montana. I'm going to go headbutt some grizzlies and grab some rainbow trout with my bare hands. That's how I roll. Don't let this city boy thing fool you. I know how to throw down in the woods. At least I used to. It's been a long time. My skills are probably pretty rusty now. Uh, Producer Mark, what are you doing? Because you are also, uh, you know, Producer Mark doesn't get many days off because I don't get many days off. And so, you know, if I'm going to suffer, he's going to suffer with me. Do you have any fun plans for you and and the wonderful Mrs. Mark? Yeah, the wife and I are uh, getting away for a few days. It should be fun. You want to tell us what state or is this like, uh, you know, you're afraid that the Uh, legions of Team Buck fans are going to track you down? Yeah, I don't need anyone tracking me down when I'm away. I'll let you know on Tuesday where I went. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hmm. All right. If I see if I see an Instagram, though, from, I don't know, the beaches of Jamaica, we'll know what's up. I, I don't That's think, uh, first of all, costs. And I don't think I'm allowed in Jamaica right now. Any I just realized that yeah. as I said it. I don't, I don't even think we're allowed in Canada. Exactly. Can you imagine like a super a super polite Mountie being like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. eh? but uh, yeah, we just, you know, don't allow Americans in now. You guys are you guys are dirty covid carriers. 
I that's mean, what's going on? You joke, but that's actually true. No, that's actually how ha- I know that's actually happening right now. It's kind of it's kind of nuts when you think about it. You can't go can't go to Canada. Uh, I wonder when they're going to stop with that. Like, when are we actually going to find out if Americans are welcome anywhere? I'm pretty sure there's a list of places we can go, and it's like North Korea, Zimbabwe. I think Egypt is on it. It's like not a lot of places you want to run to. I got to tell you, Egypt is it was not one of my favorite places I visited. Historical stuff is really cool, but I don't know. I didn't love Egypt. Um, that's probably the best place that I can think of that you're allowed to go right now. I mean, definitely better than North Korea. I don't I don't hear good things there. So what a choice of vacation, Egypt and North Korea. Yeah, if you, I mean, I'm being serious with at least the list I don't remember exactly what specific countries you're allowed to go to. I think Iraq, you're, you're still allowed to go. Oh, thank so, goodness. Yeah, I've been planning smart. my you trip there for years. You. You'd be so good to go. With this audience, though, They would somebody would take you to their, their private range. We'd get you equipped with an M4, an EOTech. We'd get you some training. You'd be good to go, man. We'd put you out there on, you know, downrange. You'd be fine. It's not worried. And, and, and if, you know, if you did get captured by some remnants of ISIS, I put out the bat signal for Team Buck. They're going to bust producer Mark out of prison over in Iraq. No problem. As lovely as this all sounds, I think I'm going to pass. You think you're going to pass? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Jersey Shore is a nice alternative, I will say. A little sunnier. Yeah, there's that. Uh, So, yeah. So we got a couple days off. I'll be in Montana. Uh, We're going to have the Godfather in for a couple of days. This is the last uh, day off that I'm planning. I'm assuming I don't have any illness or any issue like that. Uh, between now and the election, folks. So we're going to be locked and loaded from here until Election Day. Uh, please do pass the buck. That would be uh, really greatly appreciated if you get that opportunity. Please tell somebody to download the Buck Sexton show. Uh, we see the numbers rising, and it means a lot to us. And the best way that that happens, I mean, every time someone writes in and says that their friend or family member told them about the show and now they love it, one, I mean, I think that if people hear this show and are in the conservative politics space, and it's the first time they hear it, our our success ratio in getting people to sign on is second to none, you know, as meaning that they want to listen to the show once they've heard about it. It's just getting the word out. There's a lot of noise out there. You know, everybody, I feel like my fifth grade science teacher's got a podcast now, so. Yeah, Buck, you have to make sure you hold the beaker at a certain angle so that it will make the little bubbles, you know. that That's a podcast you could probably listen to. All right, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to send us a Facebook message for roll call, you can direct message us on Instagram, Buck Sexton, or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you like to email it. That's how we do it. I will miss you all, by the way. While I do enjoy having a few days off and going to Montana sounds like fun, uh, I, I do miss you all when I don't get to do the show. So there's that. I'll come back on Monday so fired up. You guys better be ready for it. No, I, I won't be back on Monday. Maybe you should try Tuesday. You're not. Oh, oh, yes. There's a federal holiday. Tuesday, I meant Tuesday. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. We got a real long weekend. Yeah, it's, it's Labor Day weekend. You didn't oh, even know that's that. That's right. Labor Day. All right. Let's see what happens. Patrick writes the elbow thing. All caps. The elbow touch is ridiculous to me. If it is common practice to cough into your elbow rather than your hand, why are we encouraging elbow touching? You cough into your elbow, then bump elbows with someone else who likely has done the same thing recently, then bury your face back in your elbow to cough again. Keep up the great work. Shields high. Well, Patrick, I think the elbow thing is ridiculous just because it looks ridiculous. I'm not sure that 
I, I think that people cough into the interior of their elbow and they touch the kind of pointy bony part of the elbow. So I'm not sure that that really is a big disease transfer risk the way that you're you're seeing it. But yeah, it could be. I don't know. And the, I think the whole thing is, is kind of ridiculous. Um, but I do think it's probably best for adult males to get away from the like handshake and then clasp the kind of, you know, I believe you call it give someone a pound handshake, finger clasp and then half hug thing. You know what I'm talking about? Pretty yeah, the, the bro hug. Yeah, the bro, the bro hug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think we could we could probably do better than the bro. I, I think you either shake hands or you hug. Why are we doing this hybrid bro hug thing? Because men don't like to hug. Yeah, but then you handshake. I don't, I don't know. I feel like you go one or you go the other. I don't like handshakes either, but I'm also kind of a germaphobe, like well yeah. before COVID. I also think, you know, can you really trust an American who thinks you go for the double cheek kiss the first time you meet him? I've come across a few. I've come across a few, you know, male, female, doesn't matter. Double cheek kiss. You're like, are you is your name Francois? And did you just get here from Ile de Paris? You know, you have to be somebody very close to me if you're going to go in for a kiss. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you I, don't I do a kiss on the first meeting, too. I, I'm just telling you, man. You know, sometimes, sometimes crazy. Stuff I know happens it happens. But people are weird. All right. April writes in, my husband and I lived in Livingston, Montana for almost seven years, but moved to the Grand Canyon, Arizona at the beginning of 2019. I miss Livingston and Bozeman every day, and Yellowstone is like nothing else on Earth. While in Bozeman, I highly recommend you check out kombucha at Dean's Zesty Booch Booch Tasting Room. If you'd like to try something a little different to drink than cider, there's also a whiskey distillery and shops in the same complex. I think it's gluten free, but you should ask just in case. It's definitely worth the effort. I didn't think I liked kombucha until I tried it. I'm usually all about cider since I don't like beer, but kombucha is a lot of bubbly fun. Enjoy Montana. Thank you, April. That's a great list. I'm going to take that, pass it to the Snow Princess. We're going to check it out. I think that I, I like kombucha. I've had, you ever had kombucha, producer Mark? I have it, but I heard everyone likes it, so I'm like, I, I would try that. It's Sounds it's good. funky, but it's good funky. Yeah, it's funky, but it's good funky. I will tell you, I make one of the, my more. I don't know if it's a bougie habit or what you'd call it, but I make fresh ginger tea for myself constantly. I think it's because well, for my throat because I'm always speaking and my throat gets raspy and messed up, and I think the ginger and lemon together work very very well. But you know, the ginger root. Uh, is not an appealing looking thing, but if you slice it up, it, you, you when you eat sushi, you know the little pickled ginger you eat. Same idea. I don't eat that. I don't. You don't want eat to the pickled ginger. Sushi. Yeah, no. That's disgusting. Uh, my look, extent of ginger wasa- will be ginger ale. The wasabi is like that. I don't know why people punish themselves with that. You know, wasabi. You're playing with fire. You get a little too much of that neon green goo. On uh, on your California roll, or in your case, the Philadelphia roll, and you know, it, all of a sudden, it feels like someone's blown out your sinuses with a flamethrower. It's just not worth it. Yeah, I don't get how people eat that. I, I just leave it to the side of my plate. I throw it out. I don't want it. Yeah, so it's not. It's not. Not for. I mean, I, I like. I like the uh, ginger, but I, I'm not a wasabi person at all. Jordan, what's up, Buck? I know it's cold for half of the year. But the live free or die state of New Hampshire is the obvious place to plant the Freedom Hut. No income tax. And New Hampshire was a red state until a few years ago. I'm doing everything I can to help turn the state back to red. 
I started a town of Portsmouth Facebook group where we own the libs and embrace free speech. I recommend all conservatives do the same. Trump 2020 shields high. Well, Jordan, um, thank you for that. Very cool. I appreciate it. That's uh, a, a good wreck. A little cold for producer Mark. We don't want to give him any excuse to complain about how cold it is. So I think Florida is still Florida and Texas. Look, we're just going to keep on. We're going to create a Freedom Hut, Florida, Texas rivalry that goes on for some time until eventually I'm able to actually move and leave New York. And, and then uh, we'll see which state ends up winning. We'll do like some kind of online poll. Team Buck Florida just fights it out with Team Buck Texas, like the Sharks, Sark, uh, Sharks and the Jets. So I thought my opinion was the only one that matters. Well, yeah, because of, I mean, if you know, you know, you guys know the expression "happy wife, happy life." Happy producer Mark, happy radio show. So yes. it's important that we. I'm glad sure. we've established those rules. Yeah, it's it's important. Um, but no, New Hampshire is great. I, I was up there a few years ago to do some interviews with presidential candidates. I uh, I like New Hampshire a lot. I I'm gonna say. The, the politics are worse. I'm more of a new, I'm more of a Vermont guy by background. I spent more time in Vermont, but, you know, I could I could be convinced I'm persuadable. And I went to college in Massachusetts, so I've spent lots of time in New England. Brian, Buck and Mark, enjoy a well-deserved break, guys. Bozeman is a great place. My buddy lives out there and we had a rager of a wedding there years ago. You're going to love it. I hear of crazy bidding wars sight unseen in Montana of people trying to escape totalitarian states and cities. Crazy times. Stay safe. P.S. Watch Searching for Sugar Man already. Hmm. I will tell you, Producer Mark, I convinced the Snow Princess. You know what we're going to watch on the plane? What? Mighty Ducks. Wow. Going to download it to the uh, download it to the computer, watch the Mighty Ducks on the plane. You know there's three movies, right? There are three Mighty Ducks movies? Really? You didn't know that? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, there's the Mighty Ducks, there's D2, and there's D3. I was unaware of that. D2 is the best one, honestly. Wait, D2 is better than the original? My personal rankings are 2, 1, 3. I'm going to tell you something that may blow your mind, because I did look this up last night as I was looking to see where we could download and watch the movie. Do you know who stars in the original Mighty Ducks movie, other than Emilio Estevez? No. Jussie Smollett. Oh, yes, I did know that, actually. Yep, that's for real, folks. He's a minor character, yeah. Jussie Smollett is a child actor and like one of the one of the kids that's on the uh, hockey team in the Mighty Ducks. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is correct. Who knew what great heights Jussie's career would take him to later? Oh, man, that guy was great. Good thing. Good times, everybody. Good times. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call before I uh, sign off and get ready to go and ride them, cowboy. I guess they don't say that in Montana, though. They have cowboys, but they don't do the whole like, hey, like, I got Spurs and a Stetson and all. But like, do they do that? I think that's more of a stereotypically Texas thing. Right, isn't it right? But, but they got cowboys in Montana. So do the cowboys in Montana have different cultural traditions and the cowboys in texas i don't even know i've got to say i wouldn't ask a cowboy that seems like something that might anger them yeah no i mean if they actually work with horses on a, on an on an actual ranch i don't think they'd i don't think they'd appreciate the uh the new york city impression of them yeah they might probably. try to lasso you which actually would be humorous maybe snow princess can film it for us that's true speaking of which 
Zach wrote in and, and said, was listening to Roll Call. Heard you mention the Snow Princess again. I get confused. Is Tulu the Snow Princess or is that your girlfriend? No. Tulu is the white French bulldog who is actually my parents, but I have been taking care of her during the pandemic. And now I'm somewhat inseparable from her and ask my parents all the time, uh, you know, so if I can if I can have her, basically, if I can like babysit her. Um, Snow Princess is the girlfriend. So no, no, they're, they're, one is a human, one is a lovely human, and the other is a is a delightful canine companion. Um, and there are so many names for Tallulah that we have, but I can't even say them all on the radio because you'd think that I've, I don't know, I've turned into like brain mush or something because we come up with new nicknames for her every day. Um, I do call her the Baby Seal sometimes because, uh, or just Baby Seal because if she's all white and she's rotund in her old age, she's eleven and she's well fed. You know, I don't want to I don't want to cut back on the treats for her. She's not obese or anything like that. She's healthy, but she's, you know, a very pleasantly plump Frenchie. And and sometimes the when she lies down, you know, because she's all white, she looks a little bit like those photos you'll see of the baby seal, of course, all white on the tundra or on the ice pack when the polar bears, you know what I mean, are, are wandering around. And the seal's trying to stay low and stay out of sight. So she looks a little bit like a baby seal. See, I've already talked about this too much. James! I just want to point out to Mrs. Sexton, I had nothing to do with that comment. Yeah, no, nothing. Oh, she's going to yell at me for that one. James, she's very protective of Tallulah's uh, uh, sense, sense of her waistline. Buck, it appears that Cuomo added Montana on Cuomo's hit list since you're going to go there for a short vacation. He must listen to your show. Looks like he wants to keep you locked up at home for another two weeks. You must have offended King Cuomo. Keep up the good work. Shields High from WGY up in Albany, where I'm sure they know all about Cuomo very well. Cuomo wants to rule New York State. What do I mean by New York State? New York State is a place where Governor Cuomo's in charge. Is that a good thing? No. Cuomo in charge means that people are going to suffer and it's going to be miserable. What do I mean by miserable? A miserable... You get the idea. Joe... Buck, I've heard you say it's Wheeler versus de Blasio for the worst mayor in America. I don't think you give Lightfoot nearly enough credit. Shields high. Joe, I, I think you raise a fair you raise a fair point. I mean, Lightfoot is pretty incredibly horrible as a mayor. But de Blasio is a whole other category. At least Lightfoot gets angry when people say that she's like not doing anything about the looters. De Blasio's like, well, well, the looters, I kind of like the looters. I don't really, you know, de Blasio's the worst, the worst. But Lightfoot's bad. She's definitely in the, uh, if there was an Avengers of Awful for New York, I mean, for uh, American mayors, Lightfoot would definitely make the team. Anthony, Buck, someone needs to ask Biden if he'll accept the results on election night like they did to the president. Shields high. Um, yeah, I, they should ask them that. They won't ask them that, though, because of course not. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Like I said, I'll be back right after Labor Day. Please do tune in for my man, Michael Pelica, tomorrow. The next day, he's going to do a great, sh- a great job at the helm of the Freedom Hut. Uh, Producer Mark and I are going to go on some R&R. We're going to come back fired up with our shields high.